Welcome everyone to just another episode of Just Another College Football Podcast. My name is Tommy Brzee and today we're talking week four. An absolutely crazy week, tons of ranked matchups, Florida State knocked off Clemson in overtime, Alabama gets a big win, ton to get to, so let's jump right in. Welcome in, everyone, to just another college football podcast. My name is Tommy Brzee, and today we're starting in Clemson, South Carolina, with what I consider the game of the week, even with Ohio State and Notre Dame going down to the wire. Florida State beats Clemson 31-24 to in overtime. Uh, this is a huge win for Florida State. Obviously, going into Clemson, South Carolina is always a huge win whenever you can get it. Um, I think a lot of people were writing off this Clemson team as not too great this year, but I think they proved a lot of people wrong uh, on Saturday. Obviously, not the result they wanted, but they stuck around with a team that's been playing really good football. As for Florida State, I think they realized that the two advantages they really had were on the outside with wide receivers and with their D-line. I think, obviously, Jaden Deloach with the huge force fumble and uh, scoop and score. Uh, Jared Verse is an All-American level player, so... That's really how they're going to win games this year is their D-line is going to have to make some plays, and then you let Jordan Travis and those big wide receivers make plays down the field. Um, Florida State threw the ball down the field a, a couple of different times in this game and just made huge plays, especially that crazy Keon Coleman touchdown in overtime. And I think Florida State here proved to me at least that they can win games ugly. You, this is not obviously not the way that they wanted to play, I think, especially in the first half, but they found a way to make – the necessary amount of plays to come away with the win in a really tough environment. So I come away from this very confident in Florida State's uh, chances to make the playoff and even possibly make the national championship depending on how things shake out. But as of right now, the big glaring uh, missing piece for Florida State, I think, is obviously in the run game. That's something they're going to have to figure out if you want to you know, compete in the, against those playoff teams. So that's something Florida State uh, fans are going to have to keep their eye on. But I think for right now, it's about, you know, surviving and advancing for Florida State, continuing to win games, rack up wins, get to the ACC title, and then see where you go from there. But right now, Florida State has to be feeling great. Got a huge win at Clemson that I think a lot of people thought that Clemson would clip them and, and get back into the ACC, but that obviously didn't happen. Clemson officially eliminated from ACC and playoff contention. I think the ACC is just too strong this year for Clemson to find their way in with two losses in conference. So um, obviously not the year that Clemson wanted at all. And I think it's going to take something in Dabo to, to change the way that he goes at this. I think for a long time he was very resistant to the transfer portal, to NIL, to these new things in college football. And someone like Florida State or someone like Miami has uh, really embraced that. And I think Clemson had this window um, to get on board and kind of keep that gap open between them and the rest of the pack in the ACC, and they just didn't do it. So now Florida State is here. It looks like Miami is starting to roll. So that window is obviously closed, but it doesn't mean Clemson can't still be dominant in the ACC or wherever they end up in the future. I think Clemson still has a real chance to be dominant, but they have to prioritize wide receiver. They have to prioritize going into the transfer portal, finding the pieces that they need, and just patching holes because there's some holes on this team that could have been patched in the transfer portal, and they just didn't take advantage of that. So that's something that Clemson's going to have to 
search their soul for a, a little bit, but I think Dabo will change uh, direction here a little bit, and I think Clemson will have a bounce back year next year. We'll move on over to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where Bama gets a huge win over Ole Miss 24-10. And I think this is the Bama you're going to see going forward. This team is not going to beat teams 45-10, 55-10 like they did when Tua was there and Mac Jones was there. They're not going to spread the ball out very much. They're not going to do these really exotic things on offense. What they're going to do is they're going to run the ball down your throat. They're going to play really good defense. And then if Jalen Milrow can hit a deep shot every now and then, they can win some big games. I think this is a team that's far from perfect and obviously not the team that Alabama expected to have this year. But I think they are going to find a way to win a ton of games. And I think when you look at their schedule, the only team that really is going to pose the type of challenge that is going to um, push, push them to the edge is LSU, obviously. And then you have Tennessee. But um, I just don't think any of these teams on the schedule are going to be able to keep up with that physicality that Alabama is going to bring the rest of the year. And it feels like they've kind of officially come to the conclusion that Jalen Milrow is their guy. We're going to call the offense for him. And I think it's starting to work. So um, excited to see what this team kind of does the rest of the season. But I think you're going to see a lot of 24 to 10, 31 to 7 type scores uh, for Bama this year. As for Ole Miss, I think they got to feel like they left a little bit on the table here. Not their best game, but also it, it felt like just Alabama was playing at such a high level defensively that it was going to be really hard for Ole Miss to do what they wanted to do. They weren't able to run the ball at all, and when you don't have that run game, uh, elite offenses just can't run. You know, Texas, USC, Washington, all of these offenses start with the run game and then open up passing windows for their quarterback, so... That's no different than what Ole Miss wants to do, but they weren't able to do it on Saturday, and it really kind of put them behind the eight ball and made it really, really hard for them to win this game. Um, as for Alabama, I think the biggest thing from this one is it feels like they're starting to find uh, a little bit of wide receiver help. I think the emergence of Jalen Hale is going to be huge, a uh, huge freshman for them. So I think him, along with Jermaine Burton, they need at least another guy to go along with Burton to help uh, this passing attack, and I think Jalen Hale will be that guy going forward. In the backfield, I mean, Jace McClellan is having a great year. I think he could have a Doak Walker-type year if he keeps rolling the way he is, and I think this O-line is kind of finding their groove, at least in run blocking, and I think they'll start to kind of pick up pace a little bit here. But a huge win for Alabama. It looks like Jalen Milrow is starting to find a little bit of confidence, and I think this Bama team is still capable of doing everything that they wanted to do this year. We'll move on over to the Pac-12 now. We got Utah winning an absolute dogfight against UCLA this weekend. No cam rising for Utah, so the defense was going to have to be great, and they were as always. Utah just keeps winning games. I think a lot of people are focusing on Washington, Oregon, and USC. Rightfully so, they've all been very good this year. But Utah just keeps plugging away. They're just going to keep winning games until they play those big teams, and then this defense might win them those games too. So uh, Utah doesn't mind not being in the spotlight. They don't mind being uh, second fiddle to some of these guys because they know who they are and they know they can win games against these, uh, these guys. And I think Utah, the biggest thing coming out of this one is if you had told me at the beginning of the year Utah was going to beat Florida and UCLA without Cam Rising, I would have told you they were going to win the Pac-12 with him. So I think the big thing for them is how early can you get him back? How early can you get him moving? And 
Um, they really do need uh, him back as soon as possible. They go to Oregon State tomorrow night, so something they're going to have to be ready for, either if they have to win it defensively, another 14-7 like this, or if Cam Rising's back, maybe they can start to spread the ball out a little bit more, play a little bit more free on offense. But regardless, I, I'm having a hard time not picking Utah in that game. I'll give my official prediction tomorrow, but we'll see. Um, it, it just looks like Utah's too good, and I think it was evident by the way they made Dante Moore really uncomfortable the entire day. I think he's going to be a great player going forward. I think he's going to make huge waves when they get over to the Big Ten, but today just wasn't his day. I mean, a tough matchup in a tough environment, a really good defense, a seasoned head coach, so obviously not his day, not the best uh, situation for him to be in in his uh, freshman year, but I think he's going to learn a lot from this, and he's going to take it forward and and kind of uh, use this to play better ball, not only this year, but when they go into the Big Ten and play those big-time uh, big teams. So excited to see what the future holds for Dante Moore, but Saturday just wasn't his day. As for Utah, I think they find themselves firmly in that four-team race. We talked about Washington, Oregon, um, and USC. I think those are the four teams kind of setting the pace. And obviously Utah's kind of getting left out of the shuffle because of the um, – because of the quarterback position, because they're so unsure of when Cam Rising will be back, and even if he will be 100% when he does come back. But as for right now, Utah is one of those four teams. I don't think they mind not being talked about a lot. They'll just keep winning, and they'll find themselves probably in the Pac-12 championship at the end of the year. We'll stay in the Pac-12 for what some are calling the no-home bowl, the two teams that have no place to go after this year, Washington State, Sneaks by Oregon State, 38-35, to and this game was Cam Ward. I mean, through and through, four touchdowns, 400 yards. This dude is just unbelievable. He's one of those guys that does not get talked about in the grand scheme of things when you talk about national quarterbacks, but he is just as good as anyone. He is awesome. Uh, I don't know what his uh, professional career looks like, but that doesn't matter right now. He's playing college football, and he is absolutely incredible. So excited to see what he can do this year, and... Washington State has find themselves kind of in a spot to play some spoiler for some teams up top in the Pac-12 that have some bigger aspirations, but they still got to play Washington State. Some have to go to Pullman, so not the ideal situation for some Washingtons or Utahs or UC, uh, USC's, but Washington State has to feel great coming off this one. Oregon State, I think when coming into this game, a lot of people thought they matched up really well. Their secondary is solid. They usually stop the pass pretty well, but Washington State was able to find a way to do what they do and push the ball down the field, get behind defenses, and score a ton of points. And that was really the only way they were going to win this game. You know, if this game was shortened, if they were going to keep the ball on the ground, I think Oregon State was going to pull away. But Washington State really kind of held this one from the get-go. They jumped out to an early lead and never really let it go. They were up by 17 in the fourth quarter and two late touchdowns by Oregon State made it look a little bit better. Obviously, Oregon State was still fighting for the game, so by no means did they were they out of it, but you know, there easily could have been a 10-point conference win, which is absolutely huge. I think for these teams going forward, the weird thing is they're really good teams and I think they are probably as good as they've been in a long time, but they find themselves in probably the best conference in the country in the Pac-12. There's so many good teams out there and so many games they're going to have to play back-to-back. -back. It's just a really tough road. 
for these teams. I think they'll find themselves kind of in the 5-7 to seven range right there with UCLA in this conference. But I think all of these, almost 10, uh, t- the 12 teams in the Pac-12 are all incredible. So interesting thing to watch. I, I think Washington State could play spoiler. Even Oregon State could uh, play spoiler here. So very fun game. Excited to see what these teams can do going forward. And we'll see if they can maybe make a run of the Pac-12 championship. All right, now to the main event of the evening. Ohio State knocks off Notre Dame on essentially the last play of the game, 17-14. to Ohio State just doesn't win this game any pretty much any other past year. I think their defense this year is so different than it has been in past years, and it they can beat you in so many different ways. They have really solid guys on the back end in Cam Brown and Denzel Burke, and then on the front end with JT and Jack Sawyer coming off the edge. There's just so many different ways that they can put pressure on you, change their looks, and and kind of make it tough on any offense. And obviously we saw that this Notre Dame offense was rolling right along. They were able to do essentially whatever they wanted, obviously not against the Ohio States of the world, but this is still very impressive to see Ohio State walk into their house and stop the running attack that Notre Dame had done so well and had, you know, kind of hung their hat on the first couple of weeks. Ohio State really took that away from the get-go and really put the pressure on them to make plays with Sam Hartman and with the, those receivers, and they just weren't able to. I, I think they're still waiting for that wide receiver one to kind of take shape. Uh, Jaden Greathouse has shown flashes from uh, from time to time, but he hasn't had that consistency, and I don't think he should necessarily be expected to uh, being a freshman. So I think this might be a problem for Notre Dame going forward, You know, not having that elite talent on the outside, at least not yet. I think Jaden Greathouse is going to be incredible um, next year and going forward, but I think it might be at least uh, the next couple of weeks a little bit tougher going for Notre Dame. They obviously have a huge one coming up against Duke. Uh, Duke plays incredible defense, stops the run, does what Ohio State does in a lot of ways. They're a really tough team, so I think Notre Dame's going to have to find a way to get back to that running attack or to, you know, let Sam Hartman be Sam Hartman, you know, stand in there, make tough throws, get, uh, take some tough hits, and hopefully they can come away with a win. Not an easy one going to Duke, but I think they're going to come prepared. It sounds like everyone there is very locked in, very almost angry about the way this one went down. So I think Notre Dame will come prepared. I think they'll be ready to go. As for Ohio State, I mean, this is huge. Uh, you, Ohio State just won a game at Notre Dame where their best player had three catches and 32 yards. That's something that doesn't happen in past years and usually doesn't happen in general across college football. So a huge win for Ohio State, something that I think at the end of the year is going to look even better the way uh, Notre Dame looks and the way that they're going to – they could – you know, they have USC uh, coming up. Duke could be another huge win. So this could – this is a huge win for Ohio State, a huge one to – build their confidence going into conference play, especially with those with the Penn State and Michigan game coming up. These are games that their defense is going to have to be good in. They're going to have to be able to stop the run. And I think if they do the way that they stop the Notre Dame uh, run, then it's going to be tough to beat Ohio State for Michigan and Penn State. But that's, you know, for another day. We'll talk about that later. But I think I really love this Ohio State team. I don't think they're the typical Ohio State team that people have seen, so some people are kind of writing them off because of that, you know, not having 
the elite quarterback play, at least as of yet, um, that they usually have. But I think they're going to win in different ways. I think they're going to be able to find their way to the playoff, beat either Penn State or Michigan. I think we could have 11-1 three-way tie there, but we'll see how that shakes out. But I do uh, like this Ohio State team, and I really do feel good about them being my championship pick right now. All right, let's get into some rapid-fire games here. We'll start in the Big Ten where Penn State absolutely stomps Iowa 31-0. This Penn State defense is absolutely insane. I think they can win games by themselves, obviously. You know, Penn State literally had to score one point to win this game. So I think this Penn State defense is as good as there is in the country. Kalen King on the back end, Chop Robinson up front. It's just there's almost too many guys to keep track of. So Penn State is going to find themselves firmly in games, even with a rookie quarterback that could go through some some growing pains. I think this defense is going to give them plenty of chances to win games. And with two teams in Ohio State and Michigan that, at least early on, and I think going forward, are really going to find their um, butter their bread, as it were, on the ground, uh, they've been able to stop the run game better than anyone in the country. And it's, it's going to be really tough for both of those teams to find their way there. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of adjust, and it'll be interesting to see how uh, how many times this Penn State defense can hold teams to under 10, hold teams to single digits, and make it really easy on this Penn State offense to win games. As for Iowa, uh, the Iowa offense right now is averaging 21.25 points per game, and obviously that doesn't sound very interesting, but their OC, Brian Ferentz, needs to score 25 points per game to keep his job. It's literally in his contract. Very weird, I know, but... Um, Good news for them, they do avoid Ohio State and Michigan, so maybe he'll be able to rack up some more points. But he's behind the eight ball now, so something to watch going forward. Um, But we'll roll right over to the Pac-12 with another bloodbath of the day. Oregon beats up on Colorado and shows everyone what it looks like when Colorado plays an elite team, 42-6. Oregon knew exactly what they were going to do, and they did it. Uh, they came into that game knowing they wanted to beat the crap out of them from the get-go, and they really beat the crap out of them from the get-go. I think um, they, as of right now, I don't see anyone in the Pac-12 that is better than Oregon. I know Washington's playing really good football. I know USC keeps winning, but this Oregon team is so complete. They beat you so many different ways, and winning a game 42-6 to where all the hype coming in was on Colorado, all the talk was on Colorado, and you just beat them from the get-go, I think that's a huge statement. So I love Oregon going forward. As for Colorado, I I love the Dion thing. I, I love the energy around Colorado. I love that they're loud and confident and, you know, getting some people's faces right now. It's, it's great. It's a good thing. But I think what it has opened them up to is they are going to get every team's best shot. And a team like Colorado that doesn't have elite depth, that doesn't have – elite talent on either offensive line, they're not really prepared to get a team's best shot every week. I think they're going to win some of these uh, Pac-12 games. They're going to beat the teams below them. But when it comes to USC this weekend or when it comes to um, Washington or or Utah or those teams, UCLA, that they're going to have to play, it's going to be a lot tougher sledding. And I think Colorado has now opened themselves up to be a little bit of a punching bag some weeks. But, you know, I think when they eventually win six games, some people will say it's a failure. Some people will say success. 
I will wildly lean towards success. This is an incredible turnaround already, and I think Colorado is going to win some games, but they're going to get beat up on some uh, some weeks, including this weekend against USC. We'll roll right over to the Big 12 now. Oklahoma wins kind of an ugly one at Cincy, 20-6. to um, I think the story in this one is this OU defense is obviously much better than it was in past years. Um, they made a huge play in the end zone with a pick and kept the Cincinnati offense just had absolutely no rhythm throughout the entire game. So this OU defense is looking a little bit more like Brent Venables, a little bit more like he has his hands on it, he has his fingerprints on it. So excited to see what they can do going forward and obviously a big one coming up in two weeks against Texas. So it'll be interesting to see how they can kind of carry over this uh, defensive play into um, the meat of conference play. Uh, as for Cincy, you got to feel like uh, you threw this one, you let this game get away a little bit. Emory Jones threw two picks, one in the end zone. I think uh, if they had to play this game again, they would tighten some things up. Hopefully, you know, uh, take care of the ball a little bit better and just play a little bit better of a game overall. And I think it would be a little bit closer, but Oklahoma wins this one, gets off uh, started right, and uh, the big new Big 12 teams are having a little tough start to their Big 12 tenure, 0-4 uh, through one game for all those teams. So uh, tough sledding early, but I think they'll find their way. Um, and finally, we'll end with uh, the SEC matchup. LSU wins a close one over Arkansas, 34-31. to This one, I think LSU really kind of needed this one. This, If uh, LSU lost this one, the SEC West would be wide open. They'd have Ole Miss coming to town with a chance to, for Ole Miss to kind of, you know, get up there with Alabama. But, you know, they find a way to win. Uh, Brian Thomas went absolutely crazy, 133 yards, two touchdowns. And him and Malik Neighbors just keep taking turns going crazy. So I guess Malik Neighbors will go crazy this weekend against Ole Miss. So something to watch. But um, I think as of right now, it looks like LSU is – they just got to keep winning games until you get to Bama, and then you got to bring your A game. You got to really play as good as you possibly can to win that one. And I think as of right now, it's what a lot of people thought, LSU and Bama kind of setting the pace in the SEC West. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But as of right now, I like LSU. I think they hold the cards in the SEC West right now. So I'm going to roll with LSU for the time being. All righty, that'll do it for this installment of just another college football podcast tune back in tomorrow for a huge week five preview but until then thanks for listening and i will see you next time